Can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure. And this year, we need your help more than ever. Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast, counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture, one top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Gentlemen, welcome into another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Gerald is here with you, one P, and the other P joining me this week. I'm very excited to have because he is a first timer to Two Peas. The other P on the podcast is Julio from The Contrarians. We know each other pretty well online and we listen to each other's programs, but he's never been on Two Peas before. And here he is, Julio. What's up, man? Thanks for being here. Thank you, thank you. Uh, very, very excited to, for the first time in my life, be a P. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> P virgin, no more. Uh, very well excited. I, I've, been, I've been listening I'm to you for a while. <laughs> I'm glad I popped your P, brother. I don't know what that means, but I'm glad I'm doing it. I can't uh, think of anybody else that could have done it, so I'm glad it happened. Uh, no, man, but I'm, I'm happy to have you, and I'm uh, very fond of you online. You're, you're a hoot, and your show's really cool. So you're, you do a show called The Contrarians. And the top five that we are doing tonight is kind of that, really, right? So tell everybody what we're counting down, kind of in your own words tonight. Yeah, so uh, it's. I'm glad you hadn't done it before because, like I said, I've listened to your show, but I haven't listened to the entire back catalog. And this yeah. seemed like like something, an idea that you could have thrown before, maybe under a different name, maybe under guilty pleasures. Not quite guilty pleasures in this case. Uh, I I suggested we do unpopular movies we love. Maybe if you want to push unpopular movies we like, I, I managed to to get uh, a list of movies at least on my end that I feel really strongly about. Uh, right, we've done the same. <laughs> you know, in the title for the, you know, I was taking notes and kind of coming up with my list. I said it was the best good bad movies. You know, because they're considered bad movies by the yep. consensus, but for whatever reason, I love them. And then we threw out a little bit of parameters just to kind of keep us in the same 
you know, vein to where it wasn't too subjective. And we said that anything on Rotten Tomatoes that is 40% or less yes. on Rotten Tomatoes, you stuck to that too, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, There were a couple picks that I thought were pretty obvious, and it turns out they were a little higher on the tomato meter than I remembered. So I had to get rid of those. But Same yeah, here, I- man. Same <laughs> here. I had one in my top five that I love, and I, I it used to be under 40%, and it was like 44 when I checked today. So I took it off. Oh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that happened to me with a couple where, uh, I mean, it, not to where it, uh, broke out of the parameters, but things that I knew were much lower. And then I guess over the years, even over the last year or so, last time I checked them, uh, I, I noticed they gone up. It's, I keep a list of all the movies that qualify for us to talk about on the show. And, uh, we always, we try to do under 30 and over, uh, over 90. So, uh, right. I have them. I have like a whole document where I have their their tomato meter scores, <laughs> and yeah, some of them had changed. Those those crazy. I know. Yeah, especially these older ones. You would think they would be kind of set where they are, yep. but yeah, exactly. I'm, I was surprised to see that too. So, did when you were making your list, and I, I'm assuming you have ten because you're on the P's. So yes. of course you have ten in front of you. <laughs> um, and Dan's gonna love that little shout out. But when you were coming up with that and you were narrowing it down, I mean, are these movies that you have had an opportunity to discuss on your show already? Uh, some of them. Okay. Uh, number one, not. Uh, uh, okay. So number one is one that uh, we haven't done on the show. I don't think we'll ever do it because uh, Alex, my co-host, is pretty resistant to it. Uh, mm. I know. Uh, two through five, we've done on the show before. Uh, okay. And I, right. and I loved them then. And then uh, I have on my honorables, it's a mix of those. Well, you know, I mean, I'm look, I'm sitting here looking at my top five right now. And I mean, they're, none of them are good movies. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I mean, they're not well made. Like, you know, they're not going to win any awards. You know, one of them, actually, I take that back. One of them, I was really, really surprised to find out that it was under 40 on Rotten Tomatoes. because I feel like it's a great movie. And I actually just talked about it on another list that I did a couple of weeks ago. And I, I don't know if you listened recently, but I'll bring it up when it comes around. But uh-huh. so, yeah, so we're doing top five movies that we love that most people hate It's kind of good, bad movies is what we're going to go with Julio. So I'm, I'm happy you're here, man. And I'm glad to see what you came up with. I'm excited to see what you came up with. So are you ready, man? You want to get us started? So I'm going to let you kick things off. You're the guest here. You're a first timer. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Julio's number five, good, bad movie. What is it, brother? Good, bad movies. All right. Number five uh, with a a Rotten Tomatoes score of 27. Mm. Uh, You, I don't know, you might not even know it. I I, I found that this Mm. movie... I would say about 50% of people that I that I bring it up to, they don't even know what I'm talking about. It's a movie that was shelved for a while and then got released late. Uh, it is the uh, Eric Foreman vehicle, Topher Grace, Take Me Home Tonight. Are you familiar oh, yeah, with this no. movie? Oh, yeah. No, I know that. The 1980s joint, right? Uh-huh. Or, yeah, set in, set, the 80s, set in the 80s, but not shot in the yeah. 80s. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just a silly comedy. It's not it doesn't say anything profound about, you know, humanity, the world or anything. It's just kind of a not necessarily an 80s movie, you know, but it has a little bit of that spirit. It plays mm-hmm. a lot with the idea that uh cocaine was such a big deal in the 80s. <laughs> and right. I know it definitely it. pushed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think if you like Topher Grace, you already have a way in. 
Uh, yeah. If 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 his thing is not for you, then you're probably gonna have a hard time getting into it. But uh, he's in it. His uh, his funny buddy is uh, Dan Fogler, who's also That's kind right. of an acquired yeah. taste. Yeah. Uh, his sister's played by uh, uh, oh scary movie actress. Uh, uh, Anna Ferris. Yes, Anna Ferris. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, which is funny because they try really hard to make her look like sort of the. Uh, she's not supposed to be the the hot popular girl in the movie, mm-hmm. and so they really dress her down. But it's still you can tell it's Anna Ferris. So it's kind of uh, you have to swallow that pill that she's not more popular than she's supposed to be in the movie. Uh, and Chris Pratt has a small role in it. Right, than, uh, I remember boyfriend. that too. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just a fun movie. It's uh, I I don't understand when you. Uh, when you look at it being at a 27% uh, and their movies are much less successful in what they're trying to do and they have a higher score it's one of those things where Rotten Tomatoes boggles your mind and it really does it's kind of underseen I I don't think that that many people uh, watched it I actually watched it in theaters when it came out and then I was happy to revisit it and find out that it was it was still good it held up yeah, I like this one, man. I, you know, I'm sure that we we actually discussed this when we were chatting online a couple of days ago, and we didn't mention it in the intro. But I don't think we're gonna have maybe any crossover just because this is such a broad topic. It's such a broad topic, and it's such yeah. a personal uh, right. list too. Right. So. But I do like that. But I do like that movie. I, you know, another thing is we might hear movies come out of each other's mouths and be like, "What? Like you like that? <laughs> you know? You know what I'm saying? Like it's gonna be interesting to see if we're on the rotten tomato tomato side of some of these flicks. Do you yep. know what I mean? But I but I do like Take Me Home Tonight. I do remember enjoying that movie. But I'm also kind of addicted to the 1980s nostalgia. So anything that kind of uses that era, I kind of tend to be kind of sympathetic to it and like it's mm-hmm. okay, guys. You know, it's, don't take it too serious. It was the 80s, you know. So uh, Take Me Home Tonight. You're number five. Number five. All right, so my number five for me is one of two movies on my list that are at a 39 on Rotten Tomatoes. And that, and I checked today because, like I said, some of these fluctuate a little bit. But as we're recording this, it is below a 40. But it's such a guilty pleasure, man. And, I mean, come on, dude. Shirtless Patrick Swayze. I mean, it's <laughs> unstoppable. So it's Roadhouse from 1989 <laughs> is my number five. You seen Roadhouse? I actually haven't seen Roadhouse. I feel like I've seen it because everybody talks about it. Uh, well, it's 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 a great action movie, man. It is super cheese. You know, it's cheesy eighties action, and he uh, he sw- rips someone's sw- throat, right? He does, yeah. And Swayze was prime in the mid to late eighties. Was prime Swayze, man. I mean, obviously, Dirty Dancing was a couple years before this. And Roadhouse is funny because it's such a like just out there like kind of stupid plot that you have to really look past or you'll never be able to be invested in the movie because it's like he's <laughs> he's a bouncer, right? He's a bouncer in these bars and stuff, but he's like a world famous bouncer. Like everybody like knows him. And like if you think in like clubs and nightclubs and bars, like nobody knows who the bouncer is. Do you know what I mean? Right. But but apparently in 1989 there was this like inner kind of like almost cult-like following for different bouncers and <laughs> and Patrick Swayze was one of them but his mentor in the movie is played by Sam Elliott who was like the bouncer of his day uh, you know maybe 10 or 15 years before Swayze kind of took the helm so it's a really ridiculous plot do you know what I mean but there's a lot of really cool fight scenes in it and Jeff Healy who was actually a musician in the 80s he's a blind man that plays guitar and he's a rocker I don't know if you know the Jeff Healy band from the 80s and 90s but he actually yep. plays himself in the movie and he has a cameo in the movie where his band is frequently playing in these bars that Swayze and Elliot are, are bouncing and stuff. So that was a really cool thing, too, because I love Jeff Healy. 
But yeah, Roadhouse, man. I've mentioned this movie before on my show. I don't remember the list, forgive me, but it's just a guilty pleasure of mine. And and, uh, and if Nick from Epic Film Guys is listening, I had to mention Patrick Swayze just in case he's <laughs> listening. I had to make sure I mentioned it. So that's about number five, man. You need to check it out, Julio. I, I, I think know. We'll it's it. one of those where... Uh, like I said, everybody knows that movie. Everybody has seen it. Everybody has an opinion about it. So right. I feel almost like I've watched it already. Um, I I did not know that he was a world famous bouncer though. I knew he was a bouncer. <laughs> didn't realize crazy, that he had man. a reputation. It's uh, crazy, man. Yeah, yeah definitely going on my list. I, I need to I need to watch it. Yeah, check it out, and then I'll be interested where it falls on Contrarians if you guys you know agree <laughs> or disagree. But it's a thirty nine on Rotten Tomatoes, so it just made the cut to be on this list. And uh, real quick, I'll just mention it because I didn't even put it in my top 10 because it didn't qualify. But what my number five was originally was the uh, Mark Wahlberg vehicle Fear with Reese Witherspoon. Do you remember that one? Yes. Yeah. I remember the poster more than anything. Yeah. That was my number five originally because I love that movie, dude. And I'm absolutely just infatuated with Reese Witherspoon. So that might be why. But uh, I looked it up today and it was at a 44. So I had to kind of switch things around a little bit and throw Roadhouse in there. So a bunch of fear fans just became uh, tomato <laughs> critics. I guess. I don't know. All right, man. So uh, take me home tonight was your five. What is your four, Julio? Uh, my number four is a Christmas movie. And okay. one that I had never seen before we did on the show. It's at 20%. Uh, it's the lowest score on my, on my top mm-hmm. five. Uh, and it's, uh, I think it's more popular than Take Me Home Tonight or maybe, you know, uh, not more famous, but more infamous. It's mm-hmm. the, uh, the, uh, Vince Vaughn vehicle, Fred Claus. You can't take my television. I watched that in bed. Are you nuts? You can't just come running up and kick someone like that. How old are you? Nine. Nine? And you have a 55-inch plasma TV in your room? Santa got it for me for Christmas last year. Yeah, well, the big guy in the red suit's not looking out for your future, is he? You're going to get hooked on that thing. I can see it now. 16,000 bags of Cheetos later, you wake up, you're 35, you're overweight, you're crying about your life in front of the soaps. I just did you a favor. You get outside, you play around, you make some friends, play kick the can, do some athletic stuff, you go to school, you're comfortable to play sports, you get a partial scholarship. Do you have any ethnic in your background, any authenticity at all in your background? I bet you do. It's America. You know what I mean? Find out what it is and put that down on the application for college. Now, all of a sudden, you get a little extra money on the side. Uncle Sam's on the wiser for it. You take that extra money, you buy a motorcycle or something. Be a lady. Maybe you meet a guy when you're at school. And then you get pregnant with child. It works out with the guy. It doesn't work out with the guy. Who cares? You're blessed to have that kid in your life. You're going to be athletic. You're going to be a moderate to lukewarm student. And you're going to have a child before you graduate college. And who are you going to have to thank for all that? Not the big guy in the red suit, but your pal Fred. Oh! Have you seen okay. it? Okay, I have. Yeah, I like Fred Claus too. So far, I'm digging these. <laughs> it's uh, I I don't know why the hate like twenty percent seems really low. I, mm-hmm. I kind of understand. Much like with uh, with Topher Grace, you know, Vince Vaughn has a very specific type of comedy. So I understand mm-hmm. that if that's not your cup of tea, you're definitely gonna have a hard time with a with a heavy Vince Vaughn vehicle. This is Vince mm-hmm. Vaughn being Vince Vaughn. Yeah, I um, think that's the thing. I think that's the thing. I think if you like Vince Vaughn, then you almost always like everything he's in. I mean, right? I mean, I I've literally don't think I can't think of a movie I saw that he was in that I like hated just because I like him. You know what I mean? Right. I, I know there's movies of his that I haven't seen or that I've seen, and I was just like, eh, 
you know, definitely. I mean, with Fred Claus, I I truly love the movie. I I think it's a good movie. I just don't understand what what the deal is. And th- but there's some uh, Vince Vaughn vehicles where he's just kind of his riffing is the only thing that's good, and everything else just doesn't measure to that. Uh, mm. But this movie has uh, Paul Giamatti playing uh, Santa Claus, and he's right, just right. fantastic in it. It's <laughs> he, is, uh, yeah. he brings so much. I mean, he's funny, but then he has a couple of emotional moments, uh, and then uh, the pariah that must almost not be named uh, Kevin Spacey is in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's the bad guy, and uh, it, and then he has a, a pretty emotional turn towards the end of the movie because of his interactions with Paul Giamatti. It's it's really really good. Um, you know, the Christmas themed. I'm not as big on Christmas movies as uh, I think a lot of my friends are, but mm-hmm. I enjoy a good Christmas movie, and I would say this one is definitely uh, good enough to make it into my rotation. Yeah, twenty seems low. You're right. I mean, I would have thought more maybe 40s or 50s. I mean, 20 right. seems twenty you know, seems low. I 20 just seems low. vindictive. Like, you really have something out. And I, I, we can't attribute it to the Kevin Spacey factor because it was... Yeah, it was before, yeah. It was before that, so... But uh, talking about Reese Witherspoon, too, Vince Vaughn did Four Christmases with her, right, too? Which yes. Which is another Christmas movie that I enjoyed because I just love his kind of humor and... <laughs> And wrestling with his brothers and shit was—I remember that was hilarious. So Vince Vaughn can do a decent Christmas flick, but I like Fred Claus, man. So good pick. Yeah. So far, I'm so far I'm with you on all these. So let's see, man. I got you beat. You said Fred Claus was twenty percent. Yes. My my number four next on my list is eleven percent Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> an absolute pile of shit. Uh, <laughs> and I get it. I know it's a pile of shit, but it's a night at the Roxbury. With Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan. Have you seen this? Oh, dude, I don't need to see it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, it's based on an SNL skit, okay? And, yep. You know, there's been some successful movies that have come from SNL skits, of course. Wayne's World being probably the most infamous. But I don't know. It's just the dumbest thing. And it's these two dudes that are wannabes, you know, and they're brothers. They're so different. Uh, Will Ferrell's like this kind of big buffoon, and Chris Kattan's kind of the more smarter, down-to-earth guy. And they just are so like at... They, they're supposed to be complimenting each other, but they're really just butting heads the whole time, so they never are able to be symbiotic in their approach. But their whole thing is just going to nightclubs and trying to get into nightclubs and hit on chicks. And, you know, they have that stupid dance they do with their head going uh-huh. side to side. And I, I don't know, man. It's just so dumb. And I used to love the skits on SNL. So being able to see it for 90 minutes, I don't know, just cracked me up. I, I mean, I just, I can't get enough of it. You know, there's some good um, kind of cameos and supporting roles in the movie, too, that I'll never forget. Like Eva Mendez is in this. Richard Grieco from 21 Jump Street has a cameo in it. He gets pulled over. Or he, they run into him and have a have like a car accident with him. And he kind of becomes a recurring character throughout the movie. Molly Shannon, also from SNL fame, uh-huh. is, is hilarious in it. So it is literally the dumbest thing that you will ever spend 90 minutes on watching it. But if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live, just kind of historically different skits and stuff. And like, I love Will Ferrell, too. Like, he just cracks me up. So Night at the Roxbury is definitely the worst. If you were going to judge these as the worst movie on my list. But that's my number four. I think. So have, if, uh, you, so have you not seen it, Julia? I haven't. And I when it came out, I was not a Will Ferrell fan. I am now. It, okay. it took several years for me to get on board with his with his style of comedy. Uh, on the other hand, I I am not on board with Chris Kattan. And but that, but that's also because <laughs> I haven't had the exposure that I've had uh, with Will Ferrell. Right. With Will Ferrell. He he was just so overbearing when I first uh, saw him. And then 
through watching his movies, I eventually kind of learned to appreciate his style. Uh, mm-hmm. With Chris Kattan, I only saw, uh, I only know him from Saturday Night Live, like some of his right. sketches, and then maybe a couple of movies. I know he was, I think he was in the remake of uh, House on Haunted Hill, which wasn't even a comedy, <laughs> you know. But he was. No, I think the, he. Um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because he kind of disappeared. I don't know his story fully, so I can't really you know comment on it too too much, but. He was on SNL when he was he was one of my favorite parts of SNL. His characters were always really memorable. But then he just kind of disappeared like after like the mid 90s. He was never in anything. He didn't do anything. I remember my wife was watching this like just B Christmas movie. We're talking about Christmas movies, but she was watching mm-hmm. this like Lifetime Christmas movie a couple years ago. And it was like really cheesy on Lifetime. And he was in it. And I was like, holy shit, Chris Catan's still alive. Like I haven't seen this guy in like 20 years. You know what I mean? <laughs> was he was he playing uh, just like a, a regular character or was he being no, a Chris No, he was like Kattan a dad. Character. He was like somebody's dad. Oh. He was like somebody's dad in it. And I'm like, I think that's Chris Catan. And we like IMD beat it. I can't remember the name of the movie. Forgive me. But it was like a Lifetime Christmas movie or Hallmark or something like that. But uh, I don't know. I used to love those guys. Like the 90s was like pure SNL like. I was just sucking that up every week. Like I went to New York and went to see Saturday Night Live in the mid. I want to say it was like 93, 94, which was Chris Kattan was on the show at that time. Chris Farley was there. Adam Sandler, David Spade, like all those guys, you know what I mean? Phil Hartman. So yep. he, these two dudes came out of that SNL era. That was really my favorite time as far as that show goes. So I don't know. I mean, it's obviously not a good movie, but I just have great memories of it from when it happened in my life, you know? Yeah, that's so, uh, I, I think that that has the the Saturday Night Live connection and the connection you had to the show definitely has to play a big part on it. I did not have that. I didn't really watch Saturday Night Live regularly until mm-hmm. I want to say until you know a couple of years ago, really, because my okay. wife watches it regularly, so I watch it uh, with her. Uh, back in the nineties, I mean, it wasn't. I, I was still living in Peru, so it didn't even get there, or it would get like really delayed. So right, I right. I was just kind of like watching it on and off, and, and you know just bits and pieces. Uh, so. I never well, had that connection with any of those people. Like Phil Hartman, I know him from news radio. I don't really know him as a Saturday yeah, Night Live person, right, yeah, you know? Yeah, so no. many, many of those actors, I just know them from what they went on to do after Saturday Night Live. And if they that's didn't... In, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if you went back and watched some of those skits, what you know, what you would think of them. You know, that's, that's interesting. That would be an interesting study to kind of see that. But, but yeah, so anyway, Night of the Roxbury, not a good movie. 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> but it's my number four. I mean, you know, I, I've got one that was really close to breaking my top five. This is my honorable mentions that you might give me shit for Julio, but we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there shortly before I, we, before we get there. What's your three, man? My number three might be the most controversial pick all on right, my list all right, all because right. whereas like most of the other movies are just movies that people either haven't seen or don't really care. Uh, this one is a movie that people actually cared a lot is mm. at 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it mm. is, the fourth installment on the Terminator franchise, Terminator Salvation. I I, I didn't see this one. Oh, you haven't seen it, Gerald. No, I didn't see this one. I have know, you Have I you didn't. seen any of the ones that come after, or uh, even the one <laughs> no, before? I I, I I really fell off the Terminator. Th- I, I was kind of over the disappointment, really. So I haven't really been invested since T two. If I'm being honest, like but you first, like T two? Oh yeah, I loved it. Yeah, okay. the first two I feel like are classics. But beyond the first two, I just I haven't really cared. I don't. I mean, I know that's probably my fault, and I'm in the minority. I just haven't really. Uh, you I haven't argue rushed to the... see any of these. You know what I mean? But yeah, I think it's a filmmaker's that, fault this... to a point. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Well, I know this one's divisive though. But talk about it a little bit. Why you love it? Uh, so I mean, it, yeah, divisive is definitely putting it mildly. I, I think that people there's a good section of people that just hate it, and I kind of understand it. It's not. Um, 
I like it a lot. It's I, I mean I would even do, I, I saw it recently. I, I rewatched it recently, and I, I even kind of love what it gets right. It gets a lot of stuff wrong too, but uh, you know everybody loves the first two Terminators. Everybody kind of that's that's something that most people can agree on. The first two are great, uh, and then the third one is kind of divisive, but not. Uh, it doesn't really get people as passionate. You know, it's just kind of like oh, the third one is more or less a, a, a remake of number two. It just it just does the same thing with, you know, a different dressing uh, and a really mm-hmm. good ending. But then when you get to the fourth one, uh, I, I really think that you should watch it eventually, so I'm not going to spoil any of it. Oh, but okay. uh, first off, what I really love is that it actually explores something beyond what we had seen in the first three movies. The first three movies are kind of stuck in this loop of they send a Terminator back in time to kill John Connor or to kill Sarah Connor or to kill somebody related to John Connor and mm-hmm. they also and the good guy sent somebody to prevent it and mm-hmm. so that's the first three movies in the fourth movie you finally go play in the future there's no time travel it's just what's happening in the future what happened after they did what they did in the first three movies how are we moving forward so it finally feels like the story has reached a new level and and we're seeing different things there's still a lot of throwbacks a lot of uh references to the franchise uh to what has happened before but you get to see uh, uh just different uh different angles on those characters uh you know that's the the infamous movie where uh, christian bale lost his shit and he right. yelled at the, yeah, I remember at the DP, that yeah because uh, he was so stressed out from playing john connor so intensely uh it's it's really cool. The special effects are, are I find them interesting. Uh, it's it, the the aesthetic is so different from what mm-hmm. we've seen in the Terminator franchise uh, up to that point, and it's kind of a shame that it did not perform well at the box office because really they were setting up at least one more movie, if not two, down the line, and mm-hmm. instead it kind of bombed. So the next Terminator movie just goes back to the formula of uh, let's go back in time and and right, you know right. do what we were doing before, and then so that kinda one kind of bombed their- too. So. <laughs> Right. So what what would you say the Rotten Tomatoes score was on it? On that one is at uh 33%. 33, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I'll, I'll get on it. I mean, I have obviously a base knowledge of of the series of the franchise. I just I don't think I've seen anything beyond the third installment. So but I love T. I love T one. I love T two. So I could just kind of start at the beginning and just go through them all. Okay, Terminator Salvation is your number three. So my number three is also thirty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, just like my Roadhouse pick. This I feel like this is a great movie, dude. And I, uh, I I'm actually curious how I even came across it for this list. I'm not really sure. I think it's because it was on a list that I just did though for top five revenge movies, and I named it. But it's a film by Tony Scott that came out in 2004 that stars Denzel Washington uh-huh. called Ma- Man on Fire. It's needed me so much. Sometimes I felt like I had nothing to give her. Just, uh, I don't know what to do. What are you going to do? What I do best. I'm going to kill him. Anyone who was involved, anybody who profited from it, anybody who opens their eyes at me. You kill them all. Have you seen Man on Fire by chance? I have seen Man on Fire. I know a lot of people who are pretty passionate uh, against that movie. <laughs> I, I also don't yeah, get but, it. I, <laughs> uh, okay, I was going to say, I, well, I was almost, well, I'm glad you're not, but I was almost hoping you were one of those people because I don't understand it. Um, I mean, a young Dakota Fanning, I want to say this may have been her first feature role, definitely one of her first. She was very young in this. 
and I love her as an actress too. You got uh, Christopher Walken in there. He's like mm-hmm. he plays like uh, Denzel's best friend, who's kind of like almost like a sponsor through alcoholism uh, in a really cool kind of bit part that he has throughout the movie. Uh, Mark Anthony's in there. Mickey Rourke is in this movie, but it's a revenge story. Like I said, I named it in my top five revenge movies. And uh, Denzel, you know, kind of gains a, he's um, the bodyguard for Dakota Fanning's character because her dad is like this wealthy uh, person in Mexico. So he's the bodyguard and they kind of become friends, you know, and he doesn't have anybody in his life. He's an alcoholic. I want to say his wife has passed on or something like that. So he's just kind of a, a recluse, you know, but she kind of pulls at his heartstrings and they kind of develop this really sweet friendship and he kind of stops drinking a little bit because he just kind of sees like hope with her, you know, and then she gets kidnapped and the rest of the movie is Denzel just fucking dialed up to 11, like <laughs> yep. just killing people, breaking limbs, like blowing up buildings. I mean, he's like literally on a rampage to find her. Uh, and that's the better part of the movie. The last two thirds of the movie is really him trying to find out what happened to her and just fucking up anybody he comes across. And, you know, I mean, obviously we saw that side of Denzel a little bit in Training Day, but generally speaking, um, we don't really see kind of like that badass action star Denzel. It's more of a dramatic turn usually for him. So I really like Man on Fire, man. I'm almost disappointed that it had to go on this list because I don't consider it a quote unquote bad movie. But based on our criteria, it is. It's 39 on Rotten Tomatoes, so that's my number three. Yeah. Now, you, I, said, you said you're a fan of it too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only seen it one time. Um a friend of mine that that actually likes it and and owned it, he he was like, hey, let's watch Man on Fire, and so uh, we did. I, I really the only negative I can think of uh, that didn't bother me, but I can see how it could be kind of a deal breaker for some people. It's just that it's it's so long; it has to be at least two and a half hours, right? Yeah, it's a it's a, yeah, it's a minute. I want to say it's about two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, and so I can kind of I, I could understand if somebody complained that it takes so long to really tell a fairly simple story because, like you said, it's just you know this little girl. Uh, uh, he, she endears herself to him. He, she makes him care again. Then she gets kidnapped, and then he just goes on the war path. And then, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I don't. Well, I'm not gonna spoil the ending for anybody that's listening. <laughs> but right, right, right. But I think that I could see the argument that people would say you could have told this story in 90 minutes, maybe you know 120. You don't really need to dwell on on every beat so so much. But I didn't mind. Denzel's a great actor. He has a great supporting cast. Uh, it, it was just. If you're in a yeah, mood for a revenge movie, you're not gonna care. It's two and a half hours of awesomeness. So yeah, and Den- Denzel and Tony Scott, the filmmaker, have a great relation Hollywood relationship. That um, you know, the guest I had on that show f- for revenge movies pointed out is it was Ryan from In Session Film, uh, mm-hmm. but he pointed out you know they have a great director actor relationship that's really undervalued. Like people don't really realize it. And if you IMDb them, I mean they really do. Like this one, they had. Um, Unstoppable. You remember the train movie? Um, oh, that, Ridley that Scott. Uh, I'm sorry, Tony Scott did Unstoppable. Scott. I I yeah. forgot about yeah. that. I was thinking of uh, the submarine yeah. movie um, with uh, Chris Pine was in that too. But yeah, they they have a good like you know, and Tony Scott's got that really kind of like manic filmmaking where it's like close shots and cut cut jumps and that kind of stuff. And I dig that. You know, I can see how like what you were saying about the length. I could see how maybe that would get to some folks too because the movie itself is long, but the shots are shot really like quickly. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're kind of in a hurry, but then you're going, well, if you're in a hurry, why is the movie three hours long? Like <laughs> chill out. Yeah. So I could kind of see the juxtaposition there, but um, 
I mean, you got Denzel, you got Tony Scott. I mean, Walken is just a treasure. Anything he's in raises it for me immediately. Yeah. And I love I love Dakota Fanning, too. You know, usually I want to say she's like 10 or 11 years old in this movie. And usually, you know, 10 year old actors or actresses are kind of unbearable for the most part. But she she was really sweet and charismatic and obviously went on to be a great actress. I mean, she's doing great things still today. So Man on Fire, my number three, I, I stand by it. That's good. I, I it's a it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think too. I'm like, man, that's gonna make this list. I can't believe that. All right, so we're up to our runner ups, man. I'm I'm excited. You've been bringing the heat over there so far. What is your number two, Julio? Number two, number two at twenty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It, this was. Uh, I, I I didn't understand. I, I was surprised when it was so low. I kind of like with you and. Uh, and Man on Fire because this was a movie that I watched before I was aware of Rotten Tomatoes or anything and to me it was just like oh this was this was good and mm-hmm. and then to find out that it was kind of reviled by the by the critical community it, it was a bit of a shocker and then I rewatched it and it's still it's still good um, and I was glad mm-hmm. that my co-host agreed because he had never seen it before uh, it's uh, we're gonna bring up Will Ferrell again this time on mm-hmm. on my end for Bewitched from uh, okay. Nora Ephron, starring uh, sure. Nicole Kidman as Samantha. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I have, yeah. I, I don't really remember it too vividly. Obviously, it's based on the TV show. Uh, but I do remember that I enjoyed it. I, I definitely don't think it's a bad movie. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, 25% is like everybody turned on it. And it's just, it, it, it even goes a little meta, which to me, it, it makes it even a lot more fun because it's... Uh, it's about Bewitched, but it's also about the making of a TV show uh, like Bewitched. Mm. I mean, basically, set on modern day, they are uh, uh, remaking Bewitched, and Will Ferrell is the executive. No, he's he's the, the main actor, the guy that's gonna play Darren, and uh, mm. he he goes out and finds he's they're casting for Samantha, and Nicole Kidman gets cast, but Nicole Kidman is Samantha in real life. She's a witch, so. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a witch like Samantha playing a character like Samantha on this TV show. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's just, you know, it's not Efron. So there is even like a level, even uh, I would think uh, low Nora Efron is still higher than most people doing romantic comedies. And that's that's sure. what happens here. You know, she's not breaking new ground, but she's having a lot of fun with, uh, with the bewitch mythology and just with the idea of a witch trying to be human or pass as human and... Uh, the Will Ferrell character is—he actually—he's not over the top in this one. I mean, he's a little bit over the top because he's—he's he's kind of an an idiot. But through his relationship with her, he he changes in, in a pretty endearing way. It, it's just funny. Steve Carell has a cameo. I don't know if you remember as uh, I do. Yeah, the crazy that, uncle. Vaguely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's just it's Whoa. just adorable. Nicole Kidman is so good. It's just so uh, unlike most Nicole Kidman roles you see because right. she's just being she's just playing up the uh, you know I, I'm not saying she usually it's not that she plays villains but she usually plays really complex characters kind of like more on the dark side or sure. and and here she's just so bubbly and so mm. uh, uh, even sort of naive because she's learning about the world of humans it's it's just really mm. funny and really uh, yeah, I- just really endearing overall. I agree with you. I think maybe, and of course, I don't know because I did like this movie, but I think maybe a lot of people frown on these, not necessarily remakes, but when they use ideas that were so successful and so popular in a different time, you know, I just think they have a tough, they have a tough road to haul when that happens. And I think maybe that happened with Bewitched because it's not a bad movie, but it is so much different from anything, you know, that we knew of Bewitched, you know, from the 60s or whatever it was. So 
I, I think mean, maybe I can that see hurts that. it a little bit, you know? Yeah, but but you have a... <clears throat> it, it, it's one way or the other, right? Because either you reject the idea of anything to do with Bewitch that is not like the TV show, or you reject uh, the, the the fact that they're not doing anything new. It was like, well, if you're they just going to do... It, right? Yeah, if you're just going to do Bewitched exactly the way it was, then why am I watching the movie? I could just <laughs> right. watch Bewitched. <laughs> so, you're right, yep. It's it, a losing battle. You're absolutely right. And that does happen. I mean, you know, that happens all the time. I mean, it just happened last year with the Lion King remake. I mean, it was the fucking same movie with different animation, you know, so... Yeah. You're right. You're right. The world's hard to please, Julio. You're right. <laughs> but I'm surprised that, you know, because at, at the time, uh, and even now, I mean, Will Ferrell's star has never quite dimmed. I mean, I think maybe he's not the box office draw that he was 10, 15 years ago, but he's still, you know, strong. Nicole Kidman yeah. has always been popular. So you would think that just seeing those two on screen would make you think, all right, you know, I'm going to give this movie a chance. I'm going to try to be open-minded about what it's trying to do. And right, right. I just, it surprised me to think that somebody would watch this movie and actually walk away from it thinking that it was a disappointment. Right. All right, man. Well, look, so we were, ta- you were mentioning the term guilty pleasure when we started the, the broadcast this evening. And uh, this is definitely in that category. Now, you know, this top five list is not a guilty pleasures movie list. That would probably be a little bit different for me. Mm-hmm. But I, but I think this one movie would be on both. So <laughs> let me go ahead and name it, see if you've seen it and uh, set it up or whatever. And then, and then we can talk a little bit about why I love it. But my number two is from 1993. So I graduated high school in 94, which is interested, interesting to know about this, uh-huh. where I was in my life at the time, uh, which was basically stoned uh, 24 hours a day. But the, <laughs> the, movie, the movie I'm referring to is Son-in-Law, starring Mr. Pauly Shore. Hello! Hey! <laughs> oh, oh I, sorry, I, I need a, a, a screwdriver. I'm sorry, I'm all out of vodka. Oh, no, 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 I, I, I need to borrow a real screwdriver uh, to, to open my, uh, uh, my uh, daughter's uh, trunk. Oh, right you have a daughter. <laughs> Is she hot? What? Don't worry, I'll keep a special eye on her for you. My name's Carl. Oh, oh. <laughs> and I'm the resident advisor. Oh, shit. What? Hey, wait, oh, come back. Shit. Don't leave me hanging. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yep. Have you seen it? Have you seen? I it? I haven't seen a single Pauly Shore movie. Oh man, I, I got another. I got another one in my top ten coming up in Marvel Legends. <laughs> I I know Pauly Shore. Like I I am familiar with uh, with him <laughs> as a as a personality. I uh, yeah. wasn't he in a Link, uh, Limp Biscuit video where he was at delivering uh, pizza. And they beat him yeah, up. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. I think that's the later. most. Uh, yeah, the most uninterrupted Pauly Shore I've seen in my life. Uh, well, son-in-law man was was a super meta. Uh, project because uh, you know he wrote a lot of it he was a co-writer on the script for it and he plays himself you know oh he doesn't he doesn't play Pauly Shore as in like you know pa- he's not Pauly Shore in the movie but I'm saying his character is the Pauly Shore character that we knew in pop culture but he plays this guy named Crawl who's a college student and he meets uh, this chick uh, Rebecca and she's from the Midwest so she comes from she's a farmer's daughter basically right and she goes to California to go to college, and she ends up meeting Crawl, and they become friends. And uh, he's going to be alone at Thanksgiving, so she says, "Well, why don't you come home with me? You can just, you know, come to my 
family's house. They're very welcoming and you can spend Thanksgiving with us. So that's the premise of the movie is that this like surfer dude, Pauly Shore, just as you would know his character in in middle America, you know, and on uh-huh. the farm. And that's kind of a Green Acres type deal. You know, I don't know if you ever or you know of that show or not, but kind yeah, of I a, like Beverly it. Hillbillies or Green Acres type kind of setup. But he is obviously just an idiot. Right. I mean, his whole <laughs> that's his whole reputation. That's his whole shtick. You know, he did the thing where he was the weasel, you know, and that was his whole like persona. And I loved it, man. So in the in the mid 90s, when this movie came out and when another one I'm going to talk about, my honorable mentions came out a couple years after this. And then he was on MTV. He had his own show on MTV at the time called Totally Pauly. It was like a sketch. It was kind of like a sketch comedy show, 30 minutes long. It's so 90s. And I was like, you know, smoking a lot of weed back then, brother. And uh, I just started college. And I don't, I don't know, man. It was just so, it was the dumbest humor that if you were not smoking weed or not drunk, you would not laugh at it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but he really had a niche on that market. And I happened to be there. And when Son-in-Law came out, man, I thought it was a fucking masterpiece. I was like, this is the funniest <laughs> shit to put Polly Shore. And also, you know, I have a background where some of, like my granddad was uh, a farmer and my uncles were farmers. So I used to actually live on, you know, not live on a farm, but I used to live near farms and we were in the country. We lived like out in the boondocks in Southern North Carolina. So I kind of had like, I knew a lot of the like innuendos that were mentioned throughout the movie on this farm, you know, from a farm life perspective. Um, And then to put the city boy in the middle of it, played by Pauly Shore, was just so hilarious to me. But I I guess the question is, does it hold up now that you're an adult? Do you still watch it and laugh? You know what? I need to go back to it, but I feel like I would just because the nostalgia, man. Yeah. Like, I feel like the nostalgia would get me. You know what I mean? Yeah, you already made that connection, so it's... Yeah, but you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that because I actually haven't seen this in probably five or six years. Um, (laughs) But I do love it. And by the way, it's 21% on on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's not well-liked. So Tiffany Amber Thiessen's in this. Kelly. from, From Kelly from Saved by the Bell. She's in this. Uh, Carla Gugino plays Ooh, Rebecca. Wow. Uh, so she's, she's Top the Top-notch talent there. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's a good flick, man. Brendan Fraser's in it. He's got a, <laughs> he's got a small part in it. Uh, but yeah, I love it, man. So Son-in-Law, I would say check out because I would wonder if that would make the Contrarians list for you guys. But uh, uh, I have a feeling that uh, Alex, my co-host, is a, I don't know if he's a Polly Shore fan, but he probably he's at least more familiar with his filmography than I am. Uh, yeah. So so that's yeah. definitely something to consider at 21 percent. It totally fits our parameters. So, yeah, I mean, you know, 1990s, if you if any if you're connected to like 1990s pop culture, I feel like you'll at least be able to kind of like get it and you'd be like, OK, I can see how this is stupid. And, and now, but like in the 1990s, yeah, it was probably hilarious. And that's kind of how I feel. And then, you know, revisiting it or going back to it and thinking about you know different scenes from it. The nostalgia gets me. It's like, I loved it then, so I still love it now, even though I, I probably should just kind of give up and be like, it's a piece of shit. But <laughs> I, I have uh, something like that in my honorable mentions. <laughs> so, son-in-law is my runner-up. And we are up to our number ones. Now, I'm afraid, Julio, that you might not have seen or possibly heard of my number one, so I feel bad, but... Oh, that's that's just exciting. I, that gives me something it, to maybe watch later on. I mention, I mention it 
any time I get an opportunity to do so. So I'll talk about it here in a second. But first, what is your number one, buddy? I'm excited. Uh, my number one, I just realized I was wrong. Fred Claus was not the, the lowest score on my list. I don't know how I, oh, I okay. forgot. My number one is the lowest uh, wow. by a lot. It's at 14%. And this movie is also the most recent on my list. Mm-hmm. It got destroyed by the critics this is mm. not one of those where i was surprised that it was uh by its score i before i even went to watch it i already knew that it had gotten obliterated by run tomatoes by everybody mm-hmm. uh, it is life itself not the documentary about roger ebert but the the more recent just drama uh done by the creators of this is us the tv show both abby's parents died in a car accident when she was a little girl Abby was in the car. She was seven. Okay. Okay seems kind of like a strange response to that new information. Well, I was caught a little off guard. You don't talk about Abby a lot. You don't ask about her a lot? Well, I ask about her constantly. Tomato, potato. Tomato, tomato. Let's just call the whole thing off. Well... The sessions are mandated, so... No, uh, the song... I'm not following. Oh, my God, this is some kind of rhythm we have, huh, Doc? Oh, right. I vaguely remember this being a thing. This come out in, like, 2018? Yeah, I think it's 2018 or 2017. It's pretty pretty recent. Uh, Okay, And uh, So tell me a little bit about it, because I didn't see this. So I've never watched uh, This Is Us. My my wife watched maybe the first two seasons. Uh, She was kind of a fan of it. That's why we ended up going to see this, because that was the big selling point of the movie, that it was from Mm -hmm. the the creators of This Is Us. And uh, it's kind of an ensemble piece. Uh, You have a great cast. You have Oscar Isaac. You have a uh, Olivia Wilde, um, okay. uh, uh, Antonio Banderas, uh, and they it's basically told in like three or four chapters. Each chapter focuses on a different set of characters, but they're all connected. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just, you know, there's no uh, uh, high concept in the way that, uh, you know, you could just sum up the movie in 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 just like one sentence to tell you like why it's awesome what what makes it awesome is the execution it's just basically you know you just see sort of a uh the generational trials and tribulations of this group of people and uh what really makes it stand out for me is just how open it is about its emotions uh so I understand why it can turn some people off because, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, you could argue, you can make the argument that it's just, it just goes too far. It's a little too over the top with, you know, the tragedy and the just kind of things that happen. Uh, mm-hmm. You could accuse it of being a soap opera, which I think is something that has been uh, a, a sort of a, a criticism that has been lobbied to that TV show as well. Um, but yeah, to true, me, yeah. it, it just worked. You know, it's it it has such a in my opinion, masterful uh, uh, handling of the different tones because sometimes it's really funny, sometimes it's really sad, sometimes it's really disturbing. And it's kind of, not to be just too corny, but that's kind of like life itself. You know, life is not Mm -hmm. just one genre. When you're Mm -hmm. living your life, it's like something really funny happens and then something really sad happens and things that happen today have repercussions You know, years down the line that could be good, could be bad, uh, could be a mix of both. So... Really, it's one of those things where within the first five minutes, like I'll tell you like the, the openings, it, it, that gives you a pretty good idea of whether you're going to be into the movie or not, because it opens with uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, doing a voiceover and he's narrating something that's happening. And uh, 
throughout the, the voiceover, he kind of like changes the protagonist a couple of times because at first he's talking about some dude, but it turns out that, oh no, the story is not about this dude. It's about uh, his his uh, psychiatrist and the psychiatrist mm-hmm. is played by Annette Benning, and now you're following Annette Benning, and he's talking about Annette Benning, and then Annette Benning kind of like is crossing the street and she gets hit by a car. And mm-hmm. and Samuel Jackson, you can't see him. You're just hearing his narration. And he's like, oh my God, what happened? And then you see that... Uh, uh, and Ed Benning is just like dead, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he so he kind of freaks out and he's like, oh, never mind. I'm out of here, whatever. And then he walks away and then you cut to uh, Oscar Isaac at some Starbucks or something. And it's just that's something that he's writing. And so oh, okay. within five minutes, you know, you kind of go from something that's really funny to something really horrible and to something to, to a bit of a, of a surprise with the reveal that of what's really happening. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't blame anybody to, for just taking those first five minutes or whatever and just going like, nope, not for me. This is irritating. <laughs> right. I, I can't handle it. But right, right, right. to me, I just, I watched and I was like, oh, that's funny. That was kind of clever. Let's see where we go. And so, the entire movie well, is like that. It's just... So you said your your wife lo- loves This Is Us and she saw it with you. So what was her interp... Like, did she think it played well as a movie or was this better as like a TV show? Is this like This Is Us? I mean, is it that it, kind of drama? It's, it's, I think, from what I gather, it's the same style as, you know, mm-hmm. I think This Is Us always also goes for big emotions and oh, plays yeah, a lot with like you know narrative <laughs> reveals uh sure. but it's the the story itself is not related at all to the tv show and uh, yeah we both walked out of it and was like loved it and it, i mean it's okay. that movie i mean it made me cry so easily wow. by the time it got to the end and uh wow. so did her and i know a couple of people that love it i don't know if you know um Joe Joe Ketchum he does the uh, I do, yeah, word salad. Sure. okay so he loves it too we did an episode on the movie uh, for his uh, uh, okay. quote unquote guilty series I, and yeah, uh, I, ne- I never I never saw it but I I've when you mentioned that it was the creator of This Is Us I vaguely remember because they pumped that up as really a selling point for the movie and yep. my wife is also a huge fan of This Is Us and oh. you know what you know what I was too man I watched the first like three or four seasons but the thing with This Is Us is like and I'm not saying that life itself maybe fell into the trap that that this is us did, but it's just so like emotionally training, bro. It's like <laughs> how many tragedies can yep. this one wealthy yep. family endure, you know, before I stop feeling sorry for them? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I uh, I, I don't know, I don't know because I haven't watched the show, but you know, the movie's like two hours, so there's only like uh, uh, it's a very uh, uh, you know finite number of yeah. things that happen good and bad uh, <laughs> i mean i feel like a prick saying that but it's just like you know no no no. i, I get it I'm because like, come I, on guys like we know we know life is hard we get it you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but i think that that's the uh i think the beauty of doing it on a on a feature you know on mm-hmm. a movie is that it's it's a close-ended story so you can actually you know get to the end and you know just do the final period and say and this is what i mean uh, right. i think the problem with the tv show is that you have to keep it going so yeah it, so it just kind of you're constantly building upon the stuff that you've done and sometimes that can get in the way of, of, of telling of feeling like you have a, a cohesive narrative you know it just feels like you're stretching it out along and it's like well how many times are they gonna experience loss how many times are they gonna you know right. Uh, right. have a reversal but in the movie it's just like no it's exactly how it's supposed to be and uh I don't okay. know. I think that if you're on its wavelength, it's very powerful. It's very beautiful. And if you're not okay. on its wavelength, you should walk away, you know, after the first 10 minutes because it's not going to change. It's just very, very well, much its own style. Well, on your recommendation, maybe I'll check it out because, like I said, my wife is a fan of the show. And to my knowledge, she never saw this either. I do remember when it came out and we never caught it for whatever reason. So well, it didn't stick I'm around in, for long because it Now I'm intrigued. Hard. Now I'm intrigued. All right. Life itself. 
Your number one, thanks, Julio. So my number one is a movie that I mention way too often. <laughs> okay, so cool. there's going to be a few regular listeners to the show who are going to be like, oh, Jesus Christ, this again. But I will tell those same people that if you have not watched this movie yet, shame on you, for <laughs> especially the number of times that I fucking told you to watch it. So yet again, it is on one of my top fives. And this time around, it is my number one. It is a movie that... It was the first movie that I can remember seeing at a young age when I was about 10 years old. Uh, it's the first movie that I can remember seeing like way before I should have. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the themes were like way beyond a 10-year-old mind. Uh, there's nudity in it. There's bad language in it. It, it was rated R. Uh, there's a lot of violence in it. Uh, the themes are, again, like high school, college age themes, drug use. I mean, nothing that a 10-year-old should be watching, Okay. Uh, it's a movie called Tough Turf from 1985. Wow, I haven't I even not, heard of it. I was going to say, I would not be surprised if you haven't seen it. So, me and my buddy Nick, I talked about him earlier from the Epic Film Guys. We did a retrospective of this movie for for his patrons uh, about a month or so ago. I got to just, just gush over this movie with him because he saw it for the first time and wanted to chat about it. But it came out in 1985. So, real quick, let me give you a little bit of a breakdown of the cast list. So. Uh-huh. The stars of the movie are James Spader and Robert Downey Jr. in 1985. Already uh, sold. Yeah, I mean, a very obviously both of them very young and very very early in their careers, but it's it's basically a high school movie and it's a story about James Spader's character, you know, he moves from this like wealthy town in Connecticut to the slums, this high school that's in the slums because his parents got laid off and blah blah blah. So now he has to go to this high school with all these kids that, you know, he's like the rich kid in this high school with all these greasers and stuff. And he's having a real hard time fitting in. And he ends up kind of uh, courting the girl who is the girlfriend of the main like bad guy in the movie, of course. So it creates like this really cool love triangle and a lot of kind of action and fight scenes are set up as a result of that. And then Robert Downey Jr. is this like punk rock musician that's like <laughs> his buddy. He's the drummer in this group. And he plays these like nightclubs that James Spader goes to watch his band play. And they they gain a friendship. And I don't know, man. It's like 1980s is written all over it. Um, and Nick had a great point when we talked about it on, on the Epic Film Guys. But it's super outdated. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's super masculine. It's not PC. Uh, it's definitely a product of its time. It is a time capsule to the mid 80s. It came out in 85, but it's actually streaming on Amazon Prime. So if anybody has Amazon, you can watch it for free. Gerald, it's, I promise you I'm going to watch it, it this weekend. It, it is not, you know, it, it, by all all accounts, it is a bad movie. I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you it's a bad movie, <laughs> but but it just drives me insane because like you know, if you don't like 80s cheese, then you won't like it. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you don't like that kind of, like, 80s vibe, like you were talking about Take Me Home Tonight, you know, uh-huh. they they really use that kind of 80s uh, mentality to kind of tell a story. And a lot of Stranger Things, for example, on Netflix, you know, people do it all the time because it is such a kind of interesting era in our history. Do you know what I mean? And it's so well-known. Like, you can see a picture from 1980 something and you can immediately go well, that's the 80s you know because it's such a yep. yeah uh, you know what i mean like it just is such a 
visual time in our history. I would it's argue that turf. you could do you can do the same with the '90s. Uh, maybe it's, right. it doesn't come across as easily, uh, but maybe give it another ten years, and the '90s are going to be as iconic as the '80s as far as something that we refer to. I, I, I yeah, get it. I, I agree. I agree with that. I, I think that's you know I think '80s you're looking more at like the new wave kind of neon colors, and the '90s you'd be looking at more like flannels and grunge. And, mm-hmm. You know, but I, I would I would say that that's pretty accurate as well. But yeah, tough turf man is a guilty pleasure. It's got nostalgia just all over the place, man. And a really cool tidbit about this movie that tickles me every time I think about it. I want to say my buddy Peter over at Podstalgic pointed this out to me initially a couple years ago because he loves this movie too. But this is so underseen. But listen to this, man. So there's a scene in the movie when James Spader uh, kind of gets his ass kicked in the parking lot, right, by the by the bad guys. And Robert Downey Jr. comes out to check on him. And he's, he's you know, Spader's down on the ground because he just got beat up. And Downey, RDJ, you know, hey, man, are you okay? Like, I'm sorry that, you know, they kicked your ass or whatever. And they stand up and on spray painted and graffiti on the wall behind them is the word Avengers, which always, <laughs> which always strips me out because it's Ultron and Iron Man in 1985. You know what I mean? Um, and I wonder, I wonder if on the set of Avengers that they were like, hey, man, you remember Tough Turf back in 85? We were doing so much coke and so many ladies and... <laughs> Just making movies, you know, but it's a time capsule, man. And I'm sorry because I know it's a bit of a rare gem and not a lot of people have seen it. But that's why I want to kind of pump it up, too. So what, what was uh, its, t- uh, its score on Rotten Tomatoes? 17 percent. Wow. Yeah. 17 <laughs> percent. <laughs> Tough Turf 1985 is my number one. I'll send you a link, Coolio, because I feel like you'll live up to your word and maybe give it a give it a go. Oh, no, definitely. I'm I'm, I'm intrigued. And I. uh I mean, I, I'm sure because I'm a I'm a an Epifilm guys patron. I just mm-hmm. you know with most of my patron subscriptions, I don't have them on my regular uh, podcast app. I have to go to the Patreon app to like look up all the all the new stuff, and uh, and especially if it's a movie that I haven't seen, I usually just kind of like put it off until I've seen the movie. Right, right. So, yeah, after you watch it, make sure you check that out. Me and Nick and Nick liked it, and you know I'm not. Oh, trying he to be did because I, I exactly. I'm not trying to be funny because I love Nick, but he hates a lot of stuff that I like. <laughs> So I was like so nervous because he asked me to come on for it because he knew I loved it. And I'm like, he's going to fucking rip into this thing and we're going to be fighting the whole time and like whatever. But he actually (laughs) he actually dug it. I mean, he gave it a a thumbs up. He thought it was a good movie, too, especially especially if you think of it in terms of the 80s. You know, I mean, which you have Mm -hmm. to. I mean, it doesn't play well. I mean, there's a lot of themes in there. Like, you know, Kim Richards is the main girl that they're kind of fighting over in the movie. And she's literally treated like a piece of property in the movie, like. Yep. She's being bartered back and forth. You know, it's like a, you know, she's like Penny Lane and almost famous. You know, they're they're <laughs> gambling her for a case of beer or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it's that kind of mentality. So it doesn't play as well um, in today. But if you think about it in the product of the 80s, you'll dig it, man, especially if you love those types of films. And you got young Spader and young RDJ, man. I mean, let's do it, you know? Yeah, that's, so, that's already a selling point. So. <laughs> All right. So Tough Charge is my number one. Uh, why don't you give us a quick wrap up, Julio? What was your top five again? All right. Uh, my recount is uh, at number five, Take Me Home Tonight, 27%. Uh, number mm-hmm. four, Fred Claus, 20%. Number three, Terminator Salvation at 33%. Number two, Bewitched at 25%. And number one, Life Itself at 14%. Not the Roger Ebert documentary, <laughs> but uh, the, <laughs> the one from uh, the creators of This Is Us. Yeah, man. All right. So my top five was five was Roadhouse, which is sitting at 39 on Rotten Tomatoes. 
My number four is a Night at the Roxbury, guys, sitting at a <laughs> massive 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Man on Fire was my number three, which is also 39%. Son-in-Law with Mr. Pauly Shore at 21% was my number two. And then one of my favorite movies of all time across any genres, Tough Turf at 17% is my number one good, bad movie. All right, so uh, we're going to wrap up here in the next few minutes, Julio. But real quick, man, uh, why don't you give us your honorable mentions? You you know I like to round up my top 10 brothers, so that's yes. what I did. I, I did the uh, same what, thing what as you. Have? I, I was just full right. on Gerald. I made a list of 10, and then I, I arranged them. Uh Nicely done. What do yeah. you got? Actually, I had 11 on my list. And what I did is I rewatched two of those to see if they still held up because I haven't seen it in a while. And uh, mm-hmm. one of them, uh, I'll just throw it out right now, uh, Pandorum at 28%. I remember loving it when I saw it in theaters. Uh, mm-hmm. It did not hold up. I watched it uh, a couple nights ago and it was not It was not great. It's wow, a really? sci-fi okay. movie with uh, Dennis Quaid and uh, Ben Foster. Uh, but, yeah, I've seen it. I, I I wonder if it would hold up for me because I remember I vaguely I remember vaguely that I enjoyed that one as well. So. Yeah, that's one of the things. I, I mean, all the the ones on my top five, I've seen them fairly recently, so I knew that they were holding up. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, so my honorable mentions, I have a uh, the Lake House at thirty five percent. That's the center. Up, didn't. Are you doing Sandra Bullock, or you just did the Sandra Bullock? We just Bullock did episode? it. We just did it last night. Lake House got some love on that show. It's not. Or, it's not one of my faves, <laughs> but Sandy B is. Sandy B is undeniable, brother. So anything yes. she's in, I give it a go. So I'll give it a shot if she's in it. So yeah, I yeah, got no it, problem with the It's one of those movies that's infamous. I knew it as a punchline. And then I watched it and I actually enjoyed it. So I was like, oh, that's great. Um, number seven, also a punchline, but I think it's a really good movie. Uh, Here Comes the Boom at 40%. Uh, the only Kevin James movie that I think that I like. Uh, he, it's hard. It's hard to like a Kevin James movie, so that's fair. I, I mean, I liked his his TV show. It's just that uh, I did too. Yeah, King yeah, of Queens. Yeah, the projects that he picks are just usually too. They're not my kind of humor. But here comes a boom. Actually, I think has a lot of heart. Uh, Henry Winkler is really good in it, a uh, uh, supporting character. Um, mm-hmm. Number eight, Smoking Aces at thirty percent. Okay, it's I, I. It's a lot of fun. It's an action movie that just has a great cast. Uh, I don't, I don't get the hate. Uh, number nine, you might not know it, Catch and Release is a sort of romantic drama with uh, Timothy Oliphant and Jennifer Garner. Uh, I don't can, think I don't think I know that, but I love those actors. Yeah, it's it's really it's worth watching. It's not like a perfect movie. That one's at twenty two percent, and it's just uh, uh, it, that's too harsh for what the movie's trying to do. I mean, it's Jennifer Garner, her fiance dies, and so she holds a funeral, and her fiance's best friends, which are Timothy Oliphant, Kevin Smith, and one other guy. Uh, they kind of try to help her get through it, and the process she falls in love with Timothy Oliphant. Uh, I'm making it sound a lot more trite than it really is. It's actually, I, I think it's fairly well written. It's, it's definitely worth watching at least once. Uh, okay. And then my number 10, which I rewatched last night, and it didn't quite hold up, but I was like, screw it, much like you and uh, your guilty pleasure. I was just like, I don't care. I like it. <laughs> this yeah, is more sure. akin to like uh, A Night at the Roxbury for you. Uh, Weekend mm-hmm. at Bernie's 2 at 10%. Oh, 2. Okay, 2. A 10. Okay. Wow, you got me beat there. Yeah, I, I watched both of them. I did a double feature. I, I watched the first one, which I owned on DVD, and then the hey, second they're one. they're fun. They're fun, brother. I mean, I don't, I don't understand people. I mean... Do you think Weekend at Bernie's or Weekend at Bernie's 2 were going, you know what, guys, let's make a masterpiece. Let's go out and win some awards. (laughs) You know what I mean? They weren't doing that. I mean, they're fun. They're stupid. They're lighthearded. I I think the first one. I mean, yeah, the first one is I think it's a truly good movie. I was surprised by how well it held up and how smart it was. The second one feels a lot more like, oh, well, you know, let's make some more money. And uh, (laughs) sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I I think that it's but but the things that I like the most about the first one are still in the second one. I mean, the, the three leads 
leads, right? Uh, Jonathan Silverstone, Andrew McCarthy, and Terry Kaiser. They're just mm-hmm. so good. They're so funny. And anytime that the movie just gives them a chance to to shine, which is often, then you're in it. Uh, right. So yeah, that uh, right. at 10% is still worth watching. All right. Well, let me give you my quick uh, rundown of my honorable mentions real quick. So my number six is um, has been... Uh, quoted as being the worst movie ever made. I don't think that's accurate. It's sitting at 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it is The Room by oh, Tommy of course. Wiseau. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just infatuating to, to watch, man. I mean, it's just such a train wreck. But to see Tommy's passion in this project, and you know, the reason it wasn't higher for me, to be honest, it, it could easily have been like number one on a list like this. But the reason it wasn't higher for me is because I just saw it. I just saw it like a year ago, and I saw it after I saw The Disaster Artist. I was going to ask you if you'd seen it. Yeah, and I loved The Disaster Artist. I was like, wow, this is a really cool story. And uh, I went back and watched The Room. So I kind of had a backwards kind of connection to it, Mm -hmm. and that's why I didn't want to be inauthentic and put it super high on my list or whatever because it's still fairly recent for me. But that's my number six. Uh, okay, you ready, man? Here we go. So this this is the one I thought you might rip into me for, and I know all of the listeners are going to be hitting me up on social media as I'm saying it. Let me look up and see what it is on Rotten Tomatoes. I can guarantee you it's below 40. Okay, so yeah, my number seven is at 20%, which is actually a lot higher than I thought it would be, but, it's, but it is from last year. It's Cats. Oh, no, the musical dude. Cats. I absolutely <laughs> as a fucking love Cats. All right, guys? So... <laughs> Go ahead. What do you Gerald, got, Julio? Gerald, we found yeah. each other. And we might yeah. be the only two people in yeah, the world. I'm into it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, okay, so he, listen, <laughs> I, I understand where everybody's coming from. I kind of understand why, you know, you wouldn't like this movie. But I I kind of want to say... Well, what were you expecting? You know, if, if right. you've, if you watch the show, which I, I have, I watch it like a couple of times, uh, you know, performed on stage. And then Me you too, hear that, yeah. yeah, if you hear they're going to make a, uh, they're making a cats movie that's live action. This is kind of what you expected. I mean, you know, right. we, we can you argue know, another about thing, the special another thing that's, Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a fucking frightening from an effects standpoint. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't know if they even kind of knew what they wanted the outcome to be. And then yeah. they, it was kind of like they were done and they'd already spent millions and are kind of like, okay, well, this is the movie, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah but yeah, yeah. obviously just an array of talent in this movie, just awesome actors up and down the, the call sheet here. I am a, as you know, probably I'm a giant <laughs> Swifty. I absolutely yep. love Taylor Swift. So anytime she's attached to anything, it, it increases its value uh, tenfold for me. But it's just I saw the show as a young kid, the, the broad, not on Broadway, but I saw it, uh, you know, like an off Broadway production of it mm-hmm. in my in my hometown when I was young. My grandmother took me to see it. I want to say I was like, you know, 10, like I was really young. And it was the first like, you know, theater show that I saw. And I'm a cat guy. Which I'm not yep. trying to be funny, but I mean, I've always had cats as pets. You I know own I mean? four so, cats currently. So, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So we have found each other. Then I have two <laughs> right now. Uh, Charlie and Louie are my little feline friends I have right now. But, uh, you know, I had my cat Pinky was around for 20 years, brother. She just died a couple years ago. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I just I don't know. I've just always loved cats in general. Like, I mean, the animal. And then to, to have a connection to this musical when I was young. And then also, I got to be honest, man. I, you know, it's kind of like when you watch that train, the train wreck reality TV. Yep. You know, like kind of the manufactured drama or whatever. I love the train wreck surrounding <laughs> cats, too. Like the public's kind of just like scathing hatred for it, like makes me love it more, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
But anyway, I don't mean to go on about it, but it was really close to cracking my top five. But it's my number seven. Uh, my number eight, I'm going to look up and see what that was on Rotten Tomatoes. But it's the other Pauly Shore movie on my list. It's called Encino Man. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, no, I've heard of it. I, you know, I haven't seen a single Pauly Shore movie, but I, I know. The oh, yeah, you did tell me that. Yeah. Either. Well, it's 15 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's even worse than Son-in-Law. But <laughs> You know, Brendan Fraser is uh, a literal caveman from the Stone Age that was frozen, and Pauly Shore finds him in his backyard and <laughs> unthaws him, and he's like a for they pass him off as a foreign exchange student in his high school, and he becomes friends with a caveman. So that's Encino, man, and it happens in Encino, California, hence the name. Uh, my number nine, I, you know, I got to go horror, man. I got to have a horror movie on every list I do, at least I try to. Uh, I wasn't able to do it with my Disney list, but otherwise, <laughs> I try to do it. But it's a uh, Final Destination. Really, I, I, was that, I didn't realize that was uh, not regarded yeah, I was, well. I was I was surprised. It's thirty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, the original that came out in two thousand with Devin Sawa. Um, so yeah, so uh, Final Destination. And then my number ten would have been Showgirls. <laughs> right? Have you seen Showgirls? Uh, yeah, that that is definitely more of a guilty pleasure. Actually, I've never sat through Showgirls all the way through. I've I've, I've seen the, the highlights. Uh, yeah, come on, man. Gina Gershon, Elizabeth Berkley. I naked. know. I mean, I, what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to do? 20, 22% on Rotten Tomatoes is Showgirls, but that would be my number 10. It is cats. a guilty pleasure. Jesus. I know, guys. It's higher than cats. Think about that. Think about that, public. Um, All right, so uh, Julio, to wrap up the show, man, I'm going to go over to social media. You know, these guys are great, yourself included, actually, giving a lot of feedback every week. I appreciate it. But we asked them over there what their favorite movie was that most people hate, okay, which is what we kind of did this Uh evening. So let's go through some of these. And like you said, there's not a ton of crossover. Everybody pretty much has different answers. So Ashley from Rabbit Ears, who I just recorded with last night, we talked about Party Down for her show, which is a show that I love on Stars. She says Boondock Saints. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, but I don't know if most people hate that, though. I don't know what the Rotten Tomato score is on that, but I feel like that's a pretty good flick. Uh, no, there's there's a, a pretty strong uh, anti-Boondock Saints faction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got you. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, so her bubby, Dan, who I know your buddies with, too, uh-huh. from Netflix and Swill, but he's got a gif of Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> Jesus Christ with this thing again you know it's, he he's like this with like I am with Tough Turf I mean he's mentioned this movie for everything uh, I didn't think it was that good did you see Under the Silver Lake last it's, year uh, it's on my list of 2019 movies that I still haven't seen uh, it's like I, I think it's on Amazon Prime so it's just a matter of finding the time to watch it I know mm. I'm not gonna like it it's the kind of movie I don't like um, I'm yeah, not a big I, fan I, of the neo-noir and uh, right well, yeah, you won't like it then. That's definitely what it is. Yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's got good parts to it from a filmmaking perspective, but I just couldn't stay with the story. It just kind of lost me. Uh, but I know he loves it. So thank you, Dan, for the feedback there. Uh, Patrick Sherwood, a good friend to the show. Uh, actually, this is a movie that I believe you guys just did. I haven't listened to the episode yet, but he says No Holds Barred. Which Ooh, was the yes? Which Jesus. Was, you just did that, right? Did you just do that for your show, right? Yeah, we just did it as a as a WrestleMania bonus episode, and that movie. I mean, that, that, if you love it, if you actually like it, that's great. My, I'm not the wrestling fan on our show. That's that's Alex, and even Alex had to admit. I mean, it's not a good movie. It's just a movie that you watch because it's part of the the history. You right. know, it's Hulk Hogan's first. Sure. Uh, 
you know, main sure. role in a movie and all that stuff. But man, that's that's rough. I mean, obviously, if you like it, that's great. But I, I, I didn't have any entry points. I'm not a wrestling fan. I'm not a Hulk Hogan fan. Uh, so I was just so kind just of watching it as a movie. You were like, what the fuck is this? I was watching okay. David Paymer trying to, you know, do something with the with the small role they'd given him in there. Right. Uh, Matt Lewinsky, a longtime friend of the show, says Miami Vice. Uh, Miami Vice, I'm assuming he means the remake with Colin right. Farrell. I don't know where that sits on Rotten Tomato, but I love the TV show from the 80s. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, actually, TV shows. Did you see the Miami Vice remake that I, came out about, I want to say it was about 10 years ago, maybe? Yeah, I've seen it once. It it felt, uh, I, Michael Mann is hit or miss for me. Some some of the stuff I really love, some of the stuff is just a little too uh, ponderous. Uh, I, mm. I didn't, and I never watched the show. Like I mean, I remember it playing uh you know back in the day but i never really followed it so i think maybe if i loved the show i would have gotten more out of the remake uh i, I remember just having a hard time but like, it was moving so slowly i think that was my main mm-hmm, problem mm-hmm. Like, and it's also mm-hmm. a long movie like it's one of those michael yeah, man that was a, yeah it was a lot yeah i remember that too uh josh schaefer a good friend of the show uh from lunch meet vhs he says nothing but trouble i think that's the one with Aykroyd. uh I want dan Aykroyd from the 80s do you know nothing but trouble uh, the title sounds familiar but i don't know yeah. i don't know the movie uh hang on julio sorry oh you're good uh, i'm doing the same thing <laughs> wow nothing but trouble is sitting at a five percent guys on Rotten Tomatoes, so Josh might have the crown tonight. But yeah, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Nothing But Trouble from 1991. It is the one that I was thinking of. But I got to be honest, I haven't seen that in so long, but I would not have thought 5%. I feel like that is a pretty good flick, but ugh, what do I know? Maybe not. Directed <laughs> by Dan Aykroyd. Wow. Yeah. And I want to say um, Digital Underground did the music for that movie, too, back in the day, 1991. All right, let's see what else we got here. Justin from the Epic Film Guys. We can't stop talking about them tonight, <laughs> but he's got a he's got a gif of Arnold from Batman and Robin. So that one didn't come up tonight, but that is uh, become a cult classic, but definitely not a quote unquote good movie. What do you think of Batman and Robin? Um, it's good. I, I I enjoy it. I don't enjoy it as much as Batman Forever. I think if I have to pick between the two really schlocky uh, Schumacher Batman movies, I go with the mm-hmm. with the first one. Uh, I really like Jim Carrey as a Riddler Jim more Carrey's than more great, than I like Schwarzenegger yeah. as uh, Mr. Freeze. I mean, he's great, yeah. but. Yeah, Jim Carrey's great. Uh, just, I mean, great actor, period, in my opinion. And great comedic timing. Arnold, I love Arnold as an action star. I feel like his Mr. Freeze is literally just, was just invented to just create memes and gifts for the all t- for all time. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, just the best, like, <laughs> puns that you'll ever get ever in the history of cinema. Uh, let's see. Perry Wilson says, The Cat in the Hat with Mike Myers he likes. Never seen it. I, I've seen the trailers. Didn't really make me want to watch the, the, the movie. You know, I have a connection to that movie. It is a piece of shit, but I have a connection to it because my daughter was very young when it came out and she loved the book, The Cat in the Hat. And so we got to go see it in the theater. She was like five or six years old when it came out. So she was a perfect age and it had enough in it where it had like a little bit of you know humor for the adults, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just a live action Cat in the Hat, you know, but it, it was fun. Actually, I think Dakota Fanning was in that, too, if I'm not mistaken. A young, a young Dakota Fanning. Uh, let's see. David Powell says... He's got a lot, but uh, Bruce's second best film ever. I don't know what the first is, but he put up a gift from Blind Date, I think. Oh, uh, who said uh, Kim Basinger, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw it a long time ago. I was probably too young to have watched it. and I mean, it seemed Uh, fine. That was back before. You know, it's hard to think of those movies because Bruce Willis now is so different from Bruce Willis back then. So it almost feels like the the last... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. And the last couple I mentioned is from our boy Nick, who's a hot topic of conversation tonight. But he's got a gif 
of Stallone saying, I am the law from Judge Dredd. And he also says, <laughs> he also said it's, it is a masterpiece and you all know it. Um, uh, come on, Nick. I don't, I, I don't know. I told him to get some help. Uh, and, <laughs> and then he, and then he responded with, uh, and this one was also mentioned by Dan. I mean, I don't know. We'll see where you fall, Julio. I'm okay with you no matter what you say, but Batman versus Superman. I, I mean, he's saying no, that one no. too. I, I can't. Horrible. I, d- yeah. <laughs> I, listen, I've, I've sat down with Nick and we've talked about it like on like we were, uh, you know, a, a video conference where we, we had recorded something else and then we were done with the recording. And then we just talked about Batman versus Superman for maybe 20 minutes. I've right, right, I, right. I, I get it. Like when he he tells me everything he loves about that movie, I don't disagree with any of it. I, you know, I'm like, yep, that's in the movie. And I agree. That's great. But there's so much in the movie that doesn't work that I just can't bring myself to call it a good movie. I, to me, nothing that that movie does will ever get me past the the Martha moment or the the right, big right, action right. scene at the end that you can't barely tell what's going on. I mean, that's just I can't. I'm sorry. I I wanted to like it. I was a uh, me too. Me I, was, too. I was really I, pumped for it. I, I mean, I went to the midnight screen like the, the first like the opening night. You know, Thursday night. I went with some friends and I was actually rooting for the movie. A, a couple of my friends were not. They they just they already had it in their mind they were gonna hate it because they didn't like Man of Steel. I liked Man of Steel well enough, so I was like, I want to see them take it to the next level. And then we watched it, and I, that just didn't happen. So yeah, I'm with you on that, Julio. So we got our cats thing. We got our Batman vs <laughs> Superman thing. We're good, brothers. Yeah, good yeah, yeah. We're, we're blossoming here. I'm officially uh, listen, a guys, <laughs> That's Yeah, you are, man. So Julio from The Contrarians joined us this evening. We did our top five. I guess we're going to call it good, bad movies. I think that'll look good on the graphic. I guess we'll find <laughs> out. Julio, why don't, you've never been on before, man. So any peas listeners that want to find you and Alex, where can they go, man? Tell them where to find you. Uh, so our website is uh, we'rethecontrarians.com. That's where you find all our info. You can just find us in any podcatcher. It's The Contrarians. And... Uh, I mean, we kind of do a little bit of what we do here, what I did here with you today. We'll just take a movie that's uh, rated really low on Rotten Tomatoes and talk about it as if it was a really good movie. Or we'll do the opposite, take a movie that's fresh in Rotten Tomatoes and talk about it as if it was a really bad movie. That's the first half of the show. And then the second half of the show, we tell you how we really feel. Uh, It makes for just a lot of fun conversation and it forces us to look at movies that uh, that we have a pretty good idea of what they're like, you know, in the eyes of the public and look at them mm-hmm. through a different lenses. Uh, it's it's always a lot of fun. And, you know, we try to be funny about it. And that, uh, I, I think that there's plenty of really good, uh, serious, analytical <laughs> film podcasts. So we try to keep it sure. a little more lighthearted. You guys do, man. It's, it's a fun show. I enjoy it. I listen often. So I'm glad you finally came on to the piece, brother. I, I am glad, too. And I, I got I to gotta set it up with Alex so that uh, you guys can talk about, I don't know, top five wrestling matches or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we could we could do. Yeah, we need to do something like that. Because, you know, Dan and I already did our top five wrestlers. We did that a couple years ago. Uh, but there's got to be something else from a wrestling perspective that we could do. So I'm we'll sure there is. Out. Yeah, we'll have to figure that out. All right. So Julio from The Contrarians is here. Thank you so much for being here. And all his information will be in the show notes. And, of course, we will be back with another P and another top five for you next week. Julio, thanks so much, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, man. Bye. What is love?